it has to start or should start before you even get in the market for a relationship. We have too many people who have not really tapped into who they are as individuals. And now as a result are entering into relationships, thinking that relationships are going to give them that identity. You know that you've tapped into your individuality when you're fulfilled, when you're happy, when you know your sense of purpose by yourself, when you don't need a relationship. I'm Doug Bobst, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to our episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bopes, and today's guest is Pastor R.C. Blakes Jr., R.C. is a husband, a father of four, a grandfather of three, and an empowerment speaker. Though he is a pastor, preacher, and teacher, his approach is conversational. He believes that transformation happens in conversation. Pastor Blakes tackles issues and subjects that are sometimes uncomfortable for many leaders to address and maybe even difficult for some people to understand. He is the author of several books, including Queenology, Imperfectly Holy, Soul Ties, and others. His most popular is entitled The Father-Daughter Talk, which is actually more than a book. It's a national movement. RC's women's empowerment conferences are life-changing for women who travel from around the nation and abroad. He has traveled extensively to communicate the principles of healthy relationships, self-discovery, self-love, faith in God, and success in life. Today on the show, we discuss the three biggest relationship and dating mistakes people are making, what qualities you should look for in a partner, what healthy masculine and feminine energy looks like, why a woman should never pursue a man, how to know if you're compatible with someone, how to know if it's time to break up, how to make a relationship last a lifetime, and so much more. So let's get this conversation going and welcome Pastor R.C. Blakes Jr. to the Adversity Advantage podcast. R.C., welcome to the podcast. Man, thank you so much for, for having me, Doug. It's, uh, it's a joy to be with you. you. You're an amazing guy. I've learned a few things about you. You're an amazing guy. Thank you for having me. I'm honored. Yeah, well, thanks for being on here, and I really appreciate the kind words. Um, it means a lot. And I want to get right into it, because I think right now, so many people are having trouble finding the right partner. So many people are having trouble in relationships. People are getting divorced more than ever. So based on your knowledge and your expertise, what are the, some of the biggest dating and relationship mistakes you see people making right now? Wow, that's awesome for you to ask that because it kind of it kind of lives at the front of my mind because people are constantly pulling on me all over the country relative to dating advice. And when I give them the advice, they don't necessarily want to hear it. I think uh, one of the biggest mistakes is um, when people are searching for their type. I think this thing called type is really throwing a monkey wrench in the process of really uh, locating your kind. The Bible talks about not being unequally yoked together. Well, it's not talking about, you know, looks and all of this. I mean, of course, looks are important. We, we need to be attracted to a person. But 
looks are fleeting and it's it's seasonal. You know, I've been married 28 years and we've changed quite a lot from our 20s to our 50s. And so when when people are in pursuit of of type, it's almost like committing yourself to a product based on the packaging without proving the content. And so I think that's one of the major mistakes is, is that we're, we're focused on things that are fleeting and trivial. I think the, the second mistake people make in terms of relationships is to assume or, or maybe even to subconsciously believe that a relationship is going to um, give you identity, give you a sense of purpose, uh, make you whole. Uh, it's not going to do any of those things. A relationship is not going to make you happy. All of these things are things that you must actually bring to the relationship. Because if, if you don't bring it to the relationship, it simply means that you are bringing your dysfunction and keeping it up on another person. So the type piece, the thinking that somehow a relationship is going to, is going to fix me. And thirdly, the mistake we make is when we pursue relationships from the perspective of what can I get from this guy or what can I get from this girl? That's not how great relationships are formulated. Now, I don't want to preach. I am a preacher, so I can start preaching at any moment. But great relationships in general are not based on what I can get from a person. Rather, it's based on what deposit may I make in this person's life. If, if it starts from a place of selfishness, selfish intent, it's going to fizzle out because, you know, it's low-level thinking. When, when I enter into a connection with a person with the idea of making a deposit into their lives, I reap what I sow. And if I have a like-minded person, like my wife and I, we serve one another, you know, therefore there are never any unmet needs in my home because I'm constantly focused on what can I give my wife? And this has been our, um, this has been our MO since we were dating. So I think those three things, selfishness, the idea that someone's going to complete you, you know, these things are some of the big problems in relationships, in the way we approach relationships and the superficial type piece. Let's start, let's start to unpack that because you talked about how we shouldn't go after somebody you know, based on the type of a person or the type that we have as far as who we're attracted to. Like what, what qualities do you think are important when it comes to a partner in a romantic relationship and then how can we begin to attract that person? That's a great question as well. And, and I have to admit that my, my perspective on, um, on the qualities that we should look for in a person has deepened over the years. I think one of the things we overlook is I think men should look for 
a woman that is feminine. And I think women should look for a man that is masculine. And by that I mean, or should I say I don't mean, I'm not talking about the, the red pill, misogynistic kind of masculinity or the, the world's concepts of uh, femininity that boil down to nothing but uh, overt sexuality. But there's a, there's a femininity that God has built into a well-adjusted woman. There's a masculinity that God has built into a well-adjusted man that makes a feminine woman function at her highest level. When a masculine man meets a feminine woman, there's, uh, there's a grace that's upon her life that empowers him to be his best version. And so I heard one guy uh, put it this way, I don't remember his name, that every man should pay attention to the woman that makes him feel like the best version of his manhood. And every woman should pay attention to the guy that makes her feel like the best version of her womanhood. Now this goes against popular trends because popular trends start on the external of the person. What does the person look like? What does the person possess? How are they built? How much money do they make? But this thing called masculinity versus femininity is extremely important. Um, I also think that we should really pay attention to the people who want us. Most people are running away from the people that really want them. And we are in pursuit of somehow we're just uh, ultra attracted to the people who don't want us. While, while they're, you know, they're um, amazing men and women who have shown, demonstrated interest, maybe even articulated interest. I think these people have to be considered. Um, I think you should look for a person, and this happens through dialogue, conversation, and questioning. You should look for a person that fits your future. Now that's assuming you know what your future is. That means that you will have had to have done the personal work to know who you are, to know where you're going, so as to know who really fits into your future. I think a man has to know where he's going to choose a woman that fits into that. A woman has to know where she's going to choose a man that would be a suitable partner for that endeavor. And, and then, of course, you know, you, you have the physical appeal. We don't want to discount that, but I mentioned it way down the list because I don't think it should be priority number one. You know, like in the world, we have this scale. Where does the person rate one to 10? Well, I quite often say, you don't necessarily need an eight, nine, or 10 to make an amazing relationship. Sometimes you have an amazing wife or an amazing husband at a five or a six, and with the proper, with the proper embrace from the right person, they can improve the, the physical appeal. And, and of course, you, you want to search for a person that um, gives you some emotional comfort. I don't think relationships should be emotionally traumatic. And, 
and there are a lot of people who are choosing a lot of people that look good. They make great Instagram posts, but emotionally they are wrecking the individual. You need a person that's intellectually compatible. You know, in church culture, we have this thing where we say, well, be not unequally yoked. In a lot of churches, we kind of limit that to love Christ like I do and go to the same church I go to. But then there's no intellectual compatibility. And then you find a struggle moving forward in terms of being able to hold conversations. So those are some of the things that I think. And diving into the masculine, feminine energy stuff, um, could you explain a bit like what some of the characteristics of masculinity, healthy masculinity are? So can you, could you explain what some of the characteristics of healthy masculinity are and then the same for healthy femininity, femininity? And then the same for healthy, yeah, for healthy femininity. And then also, like, do you think that men can have some feminine characteristics and, and vice versa? We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, wanted to give a quick shout out to this episode's sponsor, Just Thrive. I have covered the topic of gut health extensively on the show and why it is so important to have a healthy microbiome. 80 to 90% of Americans suffer from some type of gut issue, and 70 to 80% of your immune system is in the gut. And while cleaning up your diet and managing your stress should be at the foundation of addressing your gut health, a probiotic can certainly be very beneficial. When buying a probiotic, you want to be sure that you get one that actually works and delivers on their promises. Research shows that 99.9% .9 of them die in your stomach acid before they reach your gut. That's where Just Thrive Probiotics stands out from the crowd. Their proprietary strains have been third-party clinically tested and proven to arrive 100% alive in your gut, unlike other probiotics that die on the way. But that's not all. Their probiotics have more clinical research than any other products on the market and are proven to work. So if you are tired of struggling with gut issues like gas, bloating, and indigestion, look no further than Just Thrive Probiotics. So for a limited time, you can get 20% off your first 90-day bottle of Just Thrive Probiotic. So visit JustThriveHealth.com and use promo code Doug to get 20% off. Again, it's JustThriveHealth.com and use promo code Doug to get 20% off. Now back to the show. Wow, that's a nobody's ever asked me that question. It's something that I've pondered because coming from my generation, you know, being 58 years old, coming from my generation, it was like you would never admit, no man would ever say, Well, I have, you know, a femininity in me. There, there was no way in the world you would ever admit that because we always viewed masculine versus feminine as um, in, in a sexual context. You know, feminine is for women, masculine is for men. But masculine energy, as I have come to understand it, is the, it's the energy of doing, of leading, of guarding, of protecting, you know. It's what God told Adam to do in the Garden of Eden, if you're a Christian and if you read the Bible. And, you know, God told him to protect this thing, masculine energy. Feminine energy is the nurturing energy. It's, um, it's what God naturally gives to a woman who can uh, take a home and raise kids and take a house and turn it into a man's home, uh, create an amazing life for a man. So masculine is the doing energy. 
Feminine is the nurturing energy uh, that, that naturally resides in the woman. Masculine naturally is supposed to naturally reside in the man. Um, so masculine is the leading energy. Feminine is the helping energy. Now, the question you ask that is challenging for my generation is, can a man possess feminine energy? And I mean, from what I've studied, I'm no mental health professional, but from what I've studied and from what I'm understanding of it, uh, yes, men can. There are times, you know, in, in my, in the context of my marriage even, there are roles in our marriage and in, in the business aspects of our marriage especially, where my wife is more astute. And so when we get to those, you know, those areas, um, my wife generally takes the reins and I step back and I let her handle it. Well, that's a shifting in energy. She's leading, I'm assisting. Uh, it's almost like, um, it's almost like the captain of the plane versus the, I guess the co-captain. The co-captain is as capable as the captain. And when the captain needs to step away from, uh, you know, the flight deck, the co-captain flies the plane. And so masculine versus feminine, you're talking about leading a man having initiative, taking the initiative. He's operating in his masculine, masculine uh, vision, clarity in terms of communicating a woman operating in feminine is in a support role, in a nurturing role, and uh, is, is able to fertilize everything that, that God put in the man. But then there are women who build amazing businesses. Well, what is that? They're functioning in that masculine. They're making decisions. They're decisive. They're conquering and doing all of these things. So would you say then it just varies person to person that you have to just be able to understand yourself and harness the gifts that you have and be able to embrace some of the masculine energy that you have so that if you feel yourself, say you're a female and you're like, you know what, I feel assertive. I feel, um, I feel like I'm a leader. I feel like I can build something that, you know, obviously then, then that leads to the women who build these successful businesses and lead and others are more nurturers and the same with, with men. Is that what you're saying? Of course. And, and I think one of the big mistakes we, we're making today is we paint uh, the whole world with a single stroke or a single brush. And the reality is the manifestation of your masculinity is going to be a little different from mine. The manifestation of the next guy's masculinity is going to be a little different from both of ours. And so if, if your masculinity is not like mine, I say, okay, you're not as masculine as I am. Or, you know, you have some guys, you know, like the, the, we, we have this idea that to be masculine means uh, you have to be the sole earner in the house. Well, you know, I mean, that's a nice idea. You know, that's a great ideal, especially for us as men. We want to be like the earners. But suppose a guy, doesn't matter how much money you make, suppose a guy marries a, an Oprah Winfrey, you know, and she has billions of dollars. Are you going to shut her down just for the sake of your masculine ego? Uh, it differs from person to person, from couple to couple. 
I think what has to happen, Doug, what I think what has to happen is all of us have to be conscious of the fact that our spouses, our significant others need certain things from us. As a man, my wife needs certain things from me regardless. She needs the manifestation of my masculine to show up in certain specific ways. I need the manifestation of her feminine to show up in certain specific ways. Now, outside of that, you know, specific context, it becomes gray in terms of how we interact and how we build our lives. That's different from person to person. And what I mean by this is every woman is going to need a man that has some, has a vision. Every woman is going to need a man that articulates that vision. Every woman is going to need a man that she feels safe in the hands of emotionally, physically, so forth and so on. Every man is going to need a woman that um, supports him. That, you know, that's feminine. Every man is going to need a woman that is his greatest cheerleader. Every man is going to need a woman that creates a climate of peace in, in, his, in his world. Those are things that should be in place in every relationship. Now, who, who makes the most money? Who goes to work? Who stays home? Those things vary from individual to individual. And then so staying on this theme of masculine and feminine energy, I know one of the things that you talk about is that like if a, if a, if a woman likes a man and she's interested, she shouldn't pursue him. Like, why do you believe that? I believe that because, um, of course, I'm, I'm a generation ahead of you. I could be your dad. And so for my, you know, for my generation, you know, women just don't pursue from my Christian biblical perspective, women are not to pursue men, at least not the way the world pursues. Women are ideally, sticking with the feminine piece, women are ideally uh, supposed, I think women are better served by actualizing, manifesting their greatest potential as women, being the best version of themselves, becoming um, the equivalent to the man you desire to attract, because feminine attracts, masculine pursues. I think when a woman pursues a man, what happens is she misrepresents her virtue. And so while a man, while a man that's thinking on a lower level of just, you know, a hookup, hookup culture, they call it, or just the sexual conquest, he may buy into your pursuits, but it's not necessarily going to, to lead to the outcome the woman is looking for. And what is the outcome that women are looking for? Women are looking for committed long-term relationships that will eventually turn into something called marriage. Well, when a woman pursues a man, I, have, I haven't checked any statistics on it, but I'm certain that the, the numbers agree with me. You're not more likely to attract husband material by pursuing a man. It is the man's job to pursue the woman. It is the woman's job to be in her feminine, be the best version of herself that 
resonates with the man, that makes the man know that this woman is wife material, representing her virtue. Because when a woman pursues a man, it's almost like a rabbit chasing the hunter. It's not going to be a good outcome. The order is supposed to be reversed. In fact, about it, uh, men shouldn't even chase women. There's a difference between pursuit and chasing. Anything you have to chase is running away from you. Rather than a woman pursuing, she should signal. You know, uh, there are ways for a woman to signal to a man that she's interested in, that she's interested in him without, without crossing the line and dipping over into his masculine responsibilities. Because if a man cannot take the leadership in terms of the initial connection to pursue you, how is he going to lead you 5, 10, 15 years down the road when we have major decisions to make? I think it's the first indication of the man having the courage to lead. It's, it's in how the relationship happens. And then, you know, classically masculine guys are not going to be attracted to women that pursue because there's something about the masculine spirit. The Bible calls the woman, um, that, you know, she's, her price is far above rubies and, you know, she's the man's favor. The, the common or the, the current um, lingo is she's the prize. Well, every man wants a woman that he had to work for. That's one thing about the masculine spirit. We appreciate the things we had to work for. And if, if anything comes easily or without price or without challenge, we don't place much value in it. That's why we love our first cars so much. We had to work for it. You know, anything that comes without price, without challenge, we don't, we don't value a lot. So I hope, I hope that made sense. Yeah, it, it makes sense. Um, I think diving into this more, um, I guess this can be helpful for both, for both men and women. Um, so you, so you mentioned that a woman should shouldn't pursue a man, but she can let a man know that she is interested in certain ways. Um, what what can a woman do instead if she's attracted to a man to kind of let him know that she's interested? And then on the other side of that, how can a man healthily pursue a woman so that he doesn't scare her off and he can be direct to let her know that she that he's interested? Correct. Well, if you, if you look at uh, the woman's side, it's, I think it's easier today in your generation than it's ever been. You know, when my wife and I got together, uh, there, there was no such thing as social media and all of this kind of thing. But now we have, as you and I were talking about before we got on, we have uh, Instagram, we have Facebook and all of that. And uh, so everybody pretty much is on some form of social media. One of the ways a woman can um, wisely demonstrate interest in a man is through social media. He says something that's meaningful, like it, because guys pay attention to especially women who like like their stuff. And if a guy sees, OK, she liked my thing last week, she liked it again this week. What what a what will probably eventually happen is he'll make some kind of comment in the DMs. Thank you for liking my stuff. And then from there, you can respond with something a little more lengthy than cool. 
you know, hey, I really like your stuff. I like I like the way you think. It's you know, it's uh, it's hard to find people today who are thinking on the frequency you know that I'm living on. And then he comes back with something else, and now you have the what the fire starter has happened. If a woman is in a room with a guy, um, all she has to do, seriously, all she has to do is glance. Just look at him. And when he looks back and he sees that you're looking at him, smile and then look away. When you look back again, if he's, if he's still looking, it means that he, he's attracted to something he sees. And so now you just you just smile. And before long, he'll probably make his way across the room to introduce himself. It's not hard uh, because men, men are interested in the women that are interested in them. I think we just have to understand that there are better ways to show that you're interested in a man than, you know, uh, revealing too much on social media or crossing those lines and being too forward. You know, um, I think a man that would be husband material is, is a man that's going to be attracted to a woman that has a more modest but yet intentional approach. Now, in terms of how a man can pursue a woman versus chase a woman is um, to, be, to be direct, you know, hello, you know, how, how are you? What's, what's your name? You know, and she responds. And if she's if she makes eye contact and if she seems interested, continue the conversation. Just begin to, to ask questions. If you see a, a young lady that you like on Instagram, uh, almost the same thing. You know, you kind of get in the DM and you respectfully um, just kind of reach out, say something that might be a conversation starter. And, and just, just let what happens naturally happen. The biggest thing is you cannot, as a man, you cannot take a lot of the red pill advice of trying to play these games to get a woman into a sexual position because a woman that would make wife material is going to be turned off by that. If, if you're a guy that has the right intentions, it's just a matter of breaking into the conversation. If a woman does not, if she's not buying into the, the conversation, back off and leave it alone. Don't chase her. Don't chase her. If, if, if you're putting the feelers out there and she's not responding, back off and leave, leave it alone. Don't, don't become aggressive. Don't get angry. Just politely, you know, move away from, move away from the situation. But if she is if she is engaging, then you continue and you allow the conversation to develop around getting to know her. Don't, don't try to position her in any kind of way. Just get to know her. And, and what happens naturally will happen. And so taking this one step further, um, let's just say that two people meet, they like each other, they're interested. They, they're giving off the, the energy that they like, and they decide to start dating. Um, what are some signs you think people should look for to know if they're actually compatible for a long-term relationship? 
we will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second. But first, I wanted to give a quick shout out to this episode's sponsor, House of Macadamias. I have always been a big fan of macadamia nuts because of their taste, convenience, and incredible health benefits. They have arguably the best fat profile of any nut as they are loaded with monounsaturated fats. Macadamia oil has more monounsaturated fat than olive oil. Macadamias are also the only nut rich in rare omega-7 fatty acids, which can support natural collagen production, glucose metabolism, and help reduce inflammation. Traditionally, macadamias are super expensive, but that's where House of Macadamias comes in. They are changing the game. House of Macadamias has vertically integrated with 90-plus farmers so that they can make accessible one-of-a-kind macadamia products that are fresh from harvest with unmatched quality and price points. Their range of products have no added sugar or artificial ingredients and range from hand-sorted nuts with savory all-natural flavors to nuts dipped in sugar-free chocolate to creamy nut butters and cold-pressed extra virgin macadamia oil, which is perfect for cooking given its high smoke point and buttery flavor. And of course, they also sell simply salted macadamia nuts where the only other ingredient is sea salt. House of Macadamias never runs discounts, but they have a very special offer for my listeners. For a very limited time, they are gifting a free box of their sea-salted macadamia nuts that are worth $35 when you visit houseofmacadamias.com slash Doug. You can also get 20% off your entire order with the code Doug20. Again, visit houseofmacadamias.com slash Doug to get a free box of their sea-salted macadamia nuts, or you can get 20% off your entire order with the code Doug20. Now back to the show. I think the the level of agreement, you know what I mean? I think when you, you you move from this place where you're having just this this these general conversations about football, basketball, uh, you know, life, work, so forth and so on. But then you move into those conversations where now you're talking about things like religion, spirituality politics, values. And I think that's where you have to really begin to pay attention. When we move away from the general fluff stuff and we really start getting into the things that would become hot button issues, because if, if uh, you know, sometimes you see where you have a man, a couple that, that seems to work and they're on different aisles relative to politics, but that's not the norm. If, because your politics many times speaks to your values and your values many times speaks to your spiritual perspectives. When you start getting into those kinds of things, if, you, if you're constantly having clashing, I think, that's, I think that's a red flag. I think when you start discussing things like uh, money, I think you have to be somewhere in the same ballpark because why do most relationships or marriages fail? Well, they say, I don't know if I think it's still the case that it's usually because of money. Well, we haven't had, we didn't have those conversations prior to entering into these, um, these, these marital covenants or contracts. And so paying attention to the things that, um, are really going to be most significant to you. And if, if there's a constant clashing, if there's a constant disagreement, and then I think paying attention to the, the energy of the other person in the long run, because I mean, you've dated, 
you know that there's a certain energy that you can feel when you first meet a person. You know, there's this, you know, whatever. And then as time goes on, that thing seems to kind of dissipate. Well, when a thing is built for the long run, that doesn't dissipate. It becomes greater and greater and greater. It, it, it is consistent even when the two people may be at odds about something. You know, maybe don't, we don't see eye to eye on something. But yet there's this attraction that continues to magnetize one to the other. Um, and then just, just, you know, paying attention to how well we serve each other. Because when you find the right woman, when a man finds the right woman, he's going to want to do whatever he can do to make that woman's life easier. When a woman finds the right man, she's not going to be about you know, all of these issues with submission and all of these kinds of things, when she finds the right man that honors her properly, submission is going to be her natural response to that man. And so just, just you know, we have to be in a place of harmony. You know, you, you mentioned a word before we came on, synchronized. Well, the biggest part of synchronization is, is not that we don't have hiccups every now and then, but that generally the order of the day is that we're in harmony. And I think we, we make a horrible mistake to ignore the fact that we're not harmonized because maybe we're that sexually attracted or, you know, maybe we, you know, we look that good on paper. There has to be a sense of harmony. You talk about the word submission that I think can often be um, controversial when it's because it can be taken out of context. Um, and I love the way you explain it. Um, because I think to a lot of people, when they hear that word, they think give up, they think being controlled, they think losing. Um, what is your definition of submission and how can it be uh, uh, powerful in relationships? Man, I'm glad you asked that question because it is so misunderstood. And people generally write me off from the from the outset because they know I'm a preacher. So they feel like, well, he's going to the the old traditional ideas of, uh, you know, patriarchal thought. And, uh, you know, he's getting ready to tell us now be slaves to these guys. That is not what biblical submission is. Sub beneath mission. Submission is a woman getting beneath the mission of the right man. Some try to preach that a woman should submit to a boyfriend. No, the Bible says submit to your husband. A husband is a man that does a few things. He honors you. He, he values you through covenant. And um, he presents a vision for the family. And then the Bible says to the woman, submit to this guy, you know? So in other words, the Bible is not saying to the woman, submit to this man, become his inferior. It's not about being his inferior. You are always his equal. But there's a mission that God will give for the context of the family that the woman has to 
get beneath the mission when she understands it and sees it and he's communicated it. She gets beneath the, the mission and the family is made the better for it. Now, submission goes both ways because before a woman can submit, I say it this way, submission is a fruit. The seed of submission is honor. A man must sow the seed of honor before a woman can bloom the fruit of submission. So in reality, the man models submission to the woman before the woman ever returns submission to the man. And we submit one to the other because when you go into the greater context of the scripture, in a, in a marital relationship, men submit to their wives, wives submit to their husbands. I think when God says it to the woman, it's because of the order that God has established, the divine order that God has established the house by. You know, in, on a plane, everybody can't be the captain. Somebody has to be the co-captain. Who's going to communicate with uh, the tower? Both of them can't be on there communicate. So God says, this is the way I'm going to send instruction into the family context. And so now wives submit to your own husbands. But submission should be a natural response, a woman's natural response to a man's clear honor of her. It should never be forced. It should not be enforced. It should be the natural overflow of a woman that is sufficiently loved and feels um, safe and valued. I know that's the long preacher answer. So looking at it from somebody who maybe isn't a Christian, but they're looking to have a healthy relationship, and maybe this applies to both, um, is, is what you're saying is that you believe that the man should be fully in charge of the family's mission and like the say in what they do? Or do you think that, do you also still believe that the, the wife or the female can have like say in some of the stuff the family does. Absolutely. Because <laughs> my wife, my wife has more say in what the family does than I do, honestly. But the thing that I brought to the table, which goes back to the masculine feminine thing, the thing I brought to the table was a clear vision of where I wanted to bring our family. And I think that has to be a major hook for, for women. A man has to have a, a vision of where he wants the family to go. Now, the working that out many times involves the woman leading the charge more so than the man. I also believe this. In fact, I also know this, that vision is not exclusively limited to the man. Sometimes God will send vision into the family through the woman. Fact about it, there are a lot of things that I'm involved in now that were not my um, were not my idea. It was my wife who sat down and said, "I want you to consider X, Y, Z." And I sat there and I pondered it, and I said, "Okay, that's a great idea. Let's try it." And so I got in and I did my part. She said, "This is how I see it," and voila, God used it to just 
maximize and just expand everything. So women as well can bring vision to the family. Vision is not exclusively from the man, but the man is responsible to come into the marital relationship with a vision of the future for the family, respecting the fact that his wife comes along with abilities to hear from God as well and ideas. And then the two become one and they work together. And a lot of times I also think, Doug, that um, women are turned off by the idea of submission because they feel like, well, I have to divorce myself from my, my whole life to fit into a context with this guy. A real marriage is not the divorcing of me for the creation of we. A real marriage is the merging of you and me into we. So everything the woman, you know, has done and accomplished, all of her abilities and so forth, everything the man has done. Now we bring them into the context of a union, into the context of a marriage or a relationship. And now we create something that's greater together than we would have ever been as separate individuals. And so that's always going to involve the leadership abilities of the woman, the, the, the creative abilities of the woman, as well as the man. There's so many different ways we could go here. I think just quickly, um, speaking of the masculine and feminine energy, obviously um, now more women, you know, more women today than your generation are becoming amazing thought leaders, CEOs, boss babes, they're, they're running stuff, right? Um, are you saying that you think if somebody like, like who has that type of personality, would they not blend well with a masculine man? Oh my, listen. Now the idea is that, you know, a lot of times today the idea is, uh, is promoted that a masculine man is not attracted to a, an accomplished woman or a woman that's doing all of these amazing things in thought leading, social media, corporate America, entrepreneurship. Not so. A masculine man is a man that is, is broad enough in his worldview, deep enough in his self-esteem, to accommodate an amazing woman like that. A man that says to a woman, okay, I know that you, you, you know, you are, you're a seven figure earner and, and, and you're doing this and you're doing that, but I need you to diminish yourself so you can fit into my unsuitable life. That's not the way that goes, man, because I firmly believe in other words, God has to raise up a man for these kinds of women that can accommodate them. The, the visual I use for that is it's like you get a visual of like three, the three size pots that you probably have at your house in the kitchen, the small pot, the medium pot, the large pot. Well, each pot has a covering, right? We call them lids. Well, the woman would be the pot because, you know, everything kind of cooks in her and, and she gives birth to stuff, right? And the man would be the lid, the covering of, of each pot, right? Well, if you, take a, if you take a small lid and you try to cover a large pot, 
it won't work. That lid and pot is incompatible. There's no science that will make it work. If you take a medium pot and you take a small lid and try to cover it, it won't work. Small lids go on small pots. Now watch this. The woman being the pot, the man being the lid. You can take a large lid and you can cover a small pot. You can take a large lid, you can cover a medium pot, and a large lid can cover a large pot. My point is this, even in terms of women are big on this thing called type, even in terms of trying to choose a mate, choose a man for your life, you should choose a man that has the capacity to accommodate all of you because you should never divorce yourself from you to marry someone else. If, if a man is not broad enough to accommodate all that is you and you have to diminish yourself to fit into, it's not going to work anyway because you're going to be miserable. You can't divorce you and think that you're going to be happy in any relational context. I love what we're going with this because I think a lot of times what, what happens, whether you're you know male or female, is that you end up creating collateral damage sometimes down the road when you end up divorcing yourself from yourself in order to be in a relationship with somebody. We talked about this earlier where relationship becomes your identity, right? Um, how can somebody, um, how, how can somebody do their best to make sure that they don't lose themselves when they're in a relationship with somebody that they're attracted to? I think it starts uh, before it has to start or should start before you even, uh, for lack of a more sophisticated way of saying it, get in the market for a relationship. And what do I mean by that? Doing, doing the self-work to really maximize your uh, individuality. And I'm careful to use that word because sometimes it's almost taken as though you're an island. You're, 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 you're not necessarily an island, but I think we have too many people who have not really tapped into who they are as individuals. And now as a result are entering into relationships, thinking that relationships are going to give them that identity. I think it starts with doing your best work doing your greatest work to really tap into your individuality. And by that, you know that you've tapped into your individuality when you're fulfilled by yourself, when you're happy by yourself, when you know your sense of purpose by yourself, when you don't need a relationship, when you are really a healthy individual. What happens is Months go by, sometimes years go by, and you're not involved in any relationship because you're in such pursuit of your goals, your dreams. You know, you're taking care of your body, you're taking care of your mind, you're taking care of your spirit. And you're like, wow, man, I, it'd be nice to have somebody in my life. It's not until then that you're really ready for a relationship. Now, once you get into the relationship, I think it's very important to make certain that you don't lose yourself that you always speak your truth. You know, how often, you know, is it that 
people are in relationships and maybe they like the person, maybe it feels like it's going in a good direction, but then there are things that we hold back because maybe if I say that or if I expose this, this may run a person off. If a person cannot deal with all that is you, this person is not designed to go, or you're not designed to go into your future with this person. You, you got to be true to you, true to yourself, and you have to be honest with the individual about who you are and see where, let the chips fall where they may. Pay attention to the energy of a person. Make certain that you're not being managed and manipulated. Make certain that a person is not getting you to compromise who you are, compromise what you believe in. Uh, make certain that the person is a healthy individual. Make certain that, that you have mutual interests, that you have mutual values, and that this person, again, really fits your future. We lose ourselves when we try to commit ourselves to relationships. And here's a big one with the idea that, okay, I'll look over this, you know, um, you know, I'll look over that. And then you, you, you look around, it's 15 things you're looking over. And before you know it, you've gone years with a person that is not compatible with you at all because you kept looking over. The more you look over stuff, the further you get away from you and who you are, you see. A relationship that's designed to, to go the distance is synchronized. We're, we're, you know, we're, in, we're, we're sincerely and honestly in sync in step every, every step of the way. We're on the same page spiritually. We're on the same page financially. We have the, the same general idea of, 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 of what life is supposed to be like where, you know, I think if we just consider some of those things, I think it will prevent us from losing ourselves in situations. Yeah. I mean, you see, it's so, you, you said everything so beautifully. And I think one of the other things is like we, people sometimes just assume we're going to be able to change that person that over time you're going to be able to fix that person and change that person. And because, you know, you love them so much and if they love you, then you, they'll end up changing. We all know that it doesn't work out well in the end. Um, when that's types of, when, the, when those types of things happen, um, staying on this theme of like how to, um, not only not lose yourself in a relationship, but how to make a relationship last, um, I want to talk about like what it takes, like what, what do you believe are some of the non-negotiables as far as having a relationship or a marriage that lasts a lifetime? Well, 28 years, um, you know, with my wife, Lisa, I think it starts and, and I, I take this from uh, how my and Lisa's relationship and marriage started. Lisa entered into the, the relationship and the marriage with me with a clear non-negotiable. And that was, there will be no cheating in this scenario. If, if you step outside of our you know, marriage, it's over. I think that's, I think that's huge because Relationships that really last and really work are built on mutual respect. 
Now, mutual respect does not start with me respecting you or you respecting me. Mutual respect starts with you respecting you and making clear that the respect you have for you is the respect you will demand from me. And so I think it starts with that. I think, um, secondly, I think communicating, constantly communicating where we're going, you know, constantly updating each other relative to where we're going, where we are, and maintaining the, 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 the concept of team within, within the union, you know, working together as much as possible, um, making, making one another priority. As men, many times, and some, well, even today, now it's even women, we can allow our careers, we can allow our businesses to pull us away from prioritizing uh, our significant others. With women, sometimes when they have kids, you know, if we're just talking about traditional roles, if when women have kids, sometimes they prioritize the kids so much that the husband feels like, you know, I'm just here to pay bills and prioritizing one another. Um, thirdly, uh, maybe fourth, I don't know what number I'm on, being sensitive, you know, really being emotionally uh, aware, conscious, intelligent of your, of your spouse's needs without them necessarily having to say it. Because, and some people push back on that. Well, you know, I can't, I'm not a mind reader. None of us are mind readers, but here's the truth, Doug. When you live with a person day in and day out, there are things you should learn about them. And anybody that you love, you learn. For a relationship to really go the distance and to, to be healthy and to go lifelong, there are things that we as men need to know about our women and we should respond to them. That, that doesn't divorce us from the responsibility of communicating needs, but there's some needs that are repetitive. We know she needs this, provide those needs. You know he needs this, provide those needs. And, and just overall creating a supportive climate and environment within the relationship that is happy, that is healthy, uh, that, that is, uh, supportive. If, if you're honest, you know, honesty, if you can just be honest and not lie and not have some, um, you know, secret life and all of this kind of thing, there's no, there's no reason you should not be able to make it work, especially if the two people have a relationship with God, because, you know, the ultimate thing is you got to pray and work together and trust God to guide, um, trust God to guide the relationship and, and not, um, not become so hot-headed that you allow everything to come out of your mouth that comes up in your mind and, and just working together and maintaining that mutual respect. Long-lasting relationships are always respectful. Let's talk about the other side of the equation. When's it time for somebody to walk away? Wow. You know it's time to uh, walk away when you're constantly uh, having to convince a person of your value. 
You know what I mean? Lisa and I have been married for 28 years, but if if Lisa went out of here now and, you know, had an affair and say I forgave her and then she's doing it again, well, it's clear that you don't really value me. You don't understand my value. And it's, you know, I see a lot of people that live in, you know, la-la land, like, oh, well, I'm going to pray it through. Prayer's always great. But when you have to constantly, when loving another person is destroying you, you have to ask yourself, now, is this really something God ordained? Um, when you find yourself doing more parenting than partnering, you know what I mean? You're having to build a person up. You're having to, um, you know, you're having to motivate a person. Uh, that's not what we signed up for. We signed up to be two adults in a mutual relationship that's building legacy and moving into destiny. I didn't sign up to, to parent uh, to parent you when you're when you're constantly when the glue of the relationship is apologies 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 anybody that's constantly having to tell you they are sorry i don't know how i can talk on your your podcast but they're either too stupid to learn or they don't care to do better you know and if if a person, if you, you know, if the thing that's holding you there is that they apologize, they apologize, then uh, that's not enough. You know, I think at that point, you have to really begin to reconsider and think about uh, your options. Of course, it's always great to make it work, but if it's not working, you can't make it work. You certainly can't do it by yourself. And if you're the only one in here swinging, trying to, trying to make this happen, uh, it's your decision. Nobody can tell you what to do with it. But, you know, you're going to need a miracle. You're going to need a miracle. And taking this one step further, um, I know you talk a lot about empowerment, consciousness, and things like that. And I know that when, whenever anybody... Um, goes through a breakup, goes through a divorce, they end a relationship. Um, they become in a way, parts of them are broken, right? They're, they're struggling emotionally, mentally, spiritually. Um, what are some steps that somebody can take if they're listening to this right now and they've maybe they've recently gone through a breakup, they're not over their ex or they're going to be breaking up with somebody, how can they be get to, begin to come back to a place of consciousness and empowerment? Consciousness, you know, consciousness is um, in understanding who you really are as the creator designed you and called you. Most people are living unconsciously. Uh, they're kings and queens, but they're asleep. They don't realize that the throne in the room is theirs. There's a crown because they're asleep, where most people are sleepwalking through life and have no concept of who they really are. That's, that's what I mean by living consciously, knowing who you are, owning who you are, and so forth and so on. And so when you've gone through a bad relationship, 
and a breakup, that consciousness is impacted because now you, you're second guessing. Well, if you ever knew, you know, if you didn't know who you were, now the world has given you um, a severely diminished and um, um, debilitated self-concept because the pain has produced the concept of who you are. The pain says, the, the abuse says, you know, the, the, the lies say to you, well, I'm not worthy, I'm not good enough, I'm this, I'm that. When you come out of a relationship like that, the tendency is generally, and most of the time, the tendency is to move into another relationship in hopes that the next relationship will, the next guy or the next girl will do better than the last person to help you overcome the trauma that the last relationship produced upon your consciousness. So the, the idea is to move from a bad relationship into another one, bad idea. When you're coming out of, if you want to come back to a place of consciousness or arrive at a place of consciousness, when you come out of a bad relationship, pause, isolation, you need to, it's almost like um, we, we, this is post-pandemic. Well, when we were in the heat of the pandemic, what did they say? isolate at your homes. If you were in China, they, they made certain you were isolated. Isolate at your homes. It's because you need, some things are not remedied in a crowd or in a relationship. Some things are remedied in isolation. And when your heart has been broken, you have to pull away and you need to become comfortable with you. That's how your soul begins to heal. It's almost like um, the phenomenon that the, the world is, is finally realizing that the Bible has been talking about the great benefits of fasting, what it does for the body and how it allows things to heal in the body, you know? Well, when relationships have been your poison, you don't need another relationship because clearly you don't know how to choose yet. Your picker is broke. You need isolation. You need to fast. And it's in the process of pulling away into isolation that now you're going to be able to fully and completely think through everything that you've gone through, process that, recompute, because now the Holy Spirit is even going to help you to see things from a different perspective. And some of your goals are going to be before you enter into any other relationship is to come to a place, do the work to come to a place of self-awareness. And that's where you finally wake up and you realize that my self-definition was always the product of what a dysfunctional family told me I was or a dysfunctional society said I was, or what social media said I should be. Now you have to come to a place where your definition of you is the product of what God tells you and what you understand fully about yourself in your own soul. When we use that term soul, 
We're talking about your own mind, your own will, and in your own emotions. This is inner work. And then you, you have to do the, the work to come to a place of self-worth. Because previously, you were depending on these other people to give you a sense of worth. But now you're going to establish your worth. It's just like the stores do not open their doors and allow customers in until all of the items are priced. You do not want to go back and engage the world in terms of relationships until you have a clear understanding of your worth etched in onto your own soul. You're no longer going to enter into the world with an empty price tag and handing everybody markers to mark you down. You're going to have to do the work to develop and to understand your self-worth. And you know that you have self-awareness and you've developed your own sense of self-worth when you have an unrelenting sense of self-respect. It's the thing that Lisa said to me before we got married. If you ever cheat, these are going to be the consequences. That was a self-respect speaking. Establishing the parameters for me. And then finally, you come to a place of self-esteem where you, you step into the world and your head is held high, not because so many people liked your post, not because of who's on your arm, but because of how you feel and what you know about yourself. Self-esteem is called self-esteem for a reason. It's something healthy individuals are able to do for themselves. So if you've gone through a bad breakup, I think these are some things to consider. And I think you, I mean, I agree with you so much. And I think it was so well said what you just explained. And I think this is an amazing place for us to end this combo. So RC, I wanted to thank you so much for coming on here, sharing your heart, sharing your wisdom. I think the audience is going to get a lot out of this conversation. If people want to connect with you, if they want to learn more about what you and your wife do, um, what's, where's the best place to do that? They can go to my website at rcblakes.com. And uh, you'll find you'll find everything there. And of course, I'm all over social media. Just search for RC Blakes and I'm there. <laughs> I will be sure to include the links to that stuff in the show notes. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. We covered so much ground in the context of relationships, um, what matters in a relationship, how to make a healthy relationship last, when's it time to walk away. We talked about attraction. We talked about um, energy. We talked about pursuit. We talked about not chasing. Um, we talked about um, some things that, that maybe um, you may not agree with. We talked about some things that I'm sure you do agree with. And so there was so much we talked about today. What I, what I invite you to do is to share your biggest takeaway from this episode, what hit home the most, tag RC and tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.